Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right. Another week and the month of April is just about here as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy. And as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 96. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with a friend of the show, Matt Williamson, who's done a great amount of work over the years with ESPN. He's a former NFL scout. He's on a number of great podcasts, and I caught up with him out at the scouting combine a couple of weeks ago to talk about the wide receiver position and what he looks for when evaluating the top talent at that spot. Next up, I went to Scouting Report to talk about a player that I got great reaction from from our Meet the Prospect series, which debuted about 10 days ago on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. Make sure you go and check that out as I do some brief breakdowns on some of the top prospects available in the 2017 NFL Draft. So I took a player that I know I got great responses to on social media and brought him to this podcast to really dive deeper into his notes. But before we get into all that, let's jump into my talk with Matt Williamson to talk about some of the most important traits to watch when it comes to wide receivers. Let's get to that now in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Very excited to be talking with Matt Williamson here at the NFL Scouting Combine. Matt, for those listeners who have yet to know your background and really everything that you did before you got into the media and then also during your time in the media, Help bring us through it from start to finish here. I know it's a long well, story. It's a long story. It's a long but story, but it's a good I never one. played the game, but it was a you know a struggle to get in. Um, but making a long story short, though, my first gig was I was a recruiting assistant at Pitt uh, for three seasons, and I was there for Antonio Bryant's final season and both of Larry Fitzgerald's years. So you know, went to three bowl games. We were pretty successful in the old Big East. Uh, the U basically owned the division back then, yeah. but we you know, we were pretty solid. Um, Andy Lee. A lot of NFL players, you know, I helped recruit Darrell Revis, Joe Flacco, a lot of guys that are still going strong. Sure. Larry's obviously the biggest name, and he's a, I consider him a friend. Um, I was, we had great uh, great success with receivers, and our receiver coach, J.D. Brookhart, became the head coach at Akron, right. brought me with him to be his director of football operations. So we just kind of like hit the ground running, build a program from nothing, try to figure out um, a recruiting class like overnight. That was crazy you know and I left my wife in Pittsburgh in a house and she had a job and I was just gone and I was only there like eight months because we developed a, a really good relationship with the Browns who are right down the street yeah and they're like hey Matt do you happen to know anybody you know that, that would be interested in scouting I'm like yeah <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna spread the word sure. but I'll come knocking at the door and there was about 50 of us that applied for it and I got two of us got the job I did a, a full season there Needless to say, it didn't go well on the field. We were 2-14. and 14. Yeah. Um, I basically got hired the day after they drafted Kellen Winslow and got let by con- you know, We got let go, as everyone did, uh, the day after we drafted Braylon Edwards. So I was in the war room with Phil Savage. Um, Butch is who hired me. Romeo was there when we were gone. We had an interim head coach while I was there. So in my 365 days, I saw two GMs and three head coaches which is sort of the Browns' way of doing things, You got a taste of the NFL, sure. Yes. Um, but meanwhile, back home, you know, nobody would wear any of the Browns gear I sent home, and that was <laughs> Big Ben's rookie year, and the Steelers were 15-1, and one, and, you know. Um, but then shortly after, uh, we all got let go. I got hooked up with Scouts, Inc., you know, and they're still sort of in existence, but not like they were then. Yeah. And ESPN bought them, and I put in 10 great seasons at ESPN as a NFL analyst and 
I never really considered myself media, but I was obviously, but I'd sure. never interviewed anybody or reported. I mean, I was still just writing feature articles, doing podcasts. Your boy Ross Tucker and I were on for a couple of years together and yep. it was great. Um, and then, you know, that, that came to an end and I've been freelancing since and starting podcasts and it's been just as good, you know, I've been busier than ever and sure. it's been great. So I haven't worked in 15 years, basically. I've been doing <laughs> something I love. Never work a day of your life. Exactly. You like what you do. So let, let's talk about the receiver position. You talked about sure. your history with Larry Fitzgerald. Obviously, it's a position that Eagles fans are very excited to hear more it about. Should be, yeah. Uh, what is one area of evaluating the receiver position that you feel maybe fans don't necessarily think about, but is really kind of important in your mind? There's one that picture? really, really stands out. And when I got hired with the Browns, one of the first things they did was you spent like basically the whole morning or a whole afternoon in a position room. You know, when they were coaching their players, but they were also really telling us, and there was another new scout saying, this is what we want for our scheme. These are things we need to know. Yeah. And, and this is true across the entire NFL. And you probably know this as a scout, you do such great work, but the, the receiver coach and all the people that I really looked up to in the scouting community all said, or like when you were on the road and you were in University of Tennessee or Penn State, we need to see every snap of press man coverage, and there isn't many of them, you yeah. know, that I don't care if you watch the zone stuff. Sure, that's great, but you better watch every snap of press man coverage at the college level that you absolutely can because, you know, I'm a couple boots down here at the Steelers, and the big knock right now is, hey, we're all zone. Tom Brady tears us up. Why can't we go man? You know, we had Greg Cosell on a couple of days ago, and he was saying, hey, I love the Steelers, but you got to play more man coverage. You know, yeah. that you're going to get big doses of man coverage. And these receivers that can't get off press, they fade away pretty quick. So, so what are you looking for with those receivers, the ability to get off press? What are some of those traits that, you know, you say like, oh, this guy's got it, or, you know, maybe he won't translate as well? Well, certainly some things are the, you know, how gifted are you? Do you have big hands? Are you a physical guy? Yeah. Can my receivers coach teach him to get off press? You right. know, or is he... Jason Pinkston, you know, and right. just gets beat up at the line of scrimmage. <laughs> sure. You know, that's a problem. Yep. Um, but I also look at wide receivers getting off press coverage almost like a pass rusher, you yeah. know, as coming off the edge. How well do you use your hands, balance, quickly shedding, you know, those type of things. And really, it's pretty rare to find somebody these kids' age that do that well, yeah, especially when they get, you know, who they have to play against of, next year. Of course. It's really interesting because you want the guys that have the foot quickness, for sure. You want, right. You need a little bit of that. But you also like to see those guys that are good with their hands and know how to yeah. set up different moves and counter and get and get off the line quickly. Because, I mean, if you have a receiver that you're always putting in motion to get open, the, the, the defense players catch on to that pretty quick. Sure, absolutely. So let's talk about an area at the catch point where uh, the difference, this is I've always found fascinating talking with former receivers and I've had Mike Quick on a number of times in the past and he's talked about the difference between ball skills and hands. Is that something as you were going through the evaluation process with teams uh, that you kind of helped differentiate the difference between ball skills and hands? Yeah and a great example is going back to that to, to Larry Fitzgerald you yeah. know I mean and he he was obviously very gifted and he was very very dedicated to his craft even before he got to pit. You know, but he, he grew up with Chris Carter and Randy Moss, but really Carter was the guy that was the, the orchestrator of it all. And even when he got to pit after his year of military school, we had good receivers. We threw the ball a lot. We had a pro-style offense. But from the first practice, you looked over and it was like, wow, he plays the ball in the air differently than even our really good players. You know, that he wasn't as big as physical as he is now, but he wasn't lacking that way. But the timing of how well he would go up without revealing it to the corners and he had late eyes. I don't yeah. know if you know what people mean sure. by that. Yep. But 
he wouldn't he wouldn't just turn around and stare at the football while the corner's staring at his eyes. Huge he would, pet peeve of mine. Yeah, and people don't think about that. Yeah. And these corners aren't dumb. Yeah. And I remember I was young, you know, I was a recruiting assistant and I was telling him how I was just getting on his case and he was sitting there watching tape with me. I'm like, dude, you push off all the time. Yep. He's like, No, I don't. I give him a little forearm <laughs> shiver. And I'm like, give me your forearm shiver. But he he gave me one, and I went flying across the room. You know, like, you don't realize how, you know, I, I, I'm a bigger dude, but and I weighed a little more than him at the time, not as much as I do now, but he blasted me, you know, and these guys are big and powerful people, and if you can do that when a guy is a little off balance, you get that little bit of separation, and he snatches it over your head, and it's like, wow, I mean, it, it all adds up. Yeah, let's talk about that act of separation, and really when it comes to route running, because I think it's funny that, you know, obviously, look, the – when you're, when you're a fan, you're watching the game on Saturdays, and if you watch things like Draft Breakdown, which they, they do a great job of supplying sure. the, the you know common person with that, fil that film to be able to watch those guys. But when you see a receiver win on like a sluggo or you know an out and up, and it's like, oh, this guy's a great route runner. That's not, I wouldn't necessarily say, oh, just because he went on a double move that he's a great route runner. What are some of the traits that you look for when you want to see a guy that's really great in that aspect of the game? Yeah, there's, and there's a lot of ways to do it. You yeah. know, like we often talk about, going back to Pittsburgh, that Antonio Brown wins sure. coming out of his breaks. Yeah. And I think Greg even said the other day that he's a 4-2 flat guy coming out of his breaks. That's what makes him rare. And that's almost indefensible. I mean, that's on an obvious you know, really far away of the spectrum, too. Yeah. I and mean, people don't do that. But if you can break like that, even if you can tell the corner, I'm running out, you can't really do anything about it. Yeah. I mean, one thing that I thought Jerry Rice did better than anybody was his stem looked the same every time. Yep. And people don't realize how hard that is to do, to yep. not, you know, we've been talking about Revis a lot, you know, and everyone in Pittsburgh will sign Revis now. But sure. he was so good at his recognition skills that he knew where you were running before you, you know, before you because of your alignments in the down and distance. But someone like Rice, who is the all-time greatest, obviously, every release was exactly the same, exactly the same. There's just such meticulous work behind the scenes that you have to react to the, the break point as yeah. opposed to any kind of indicators. Boy, that's hard. Yeah. I, I always learned it as, like, the drive phase of the route where, you know, if the, the people at home, when they're listening, like, you imagine a, a dig route where a guy gets down and he, and he throttles down at the top of the break and he breaks inside. Well, you want that, like you said, you want that to look just like it would on a comeback. Right. Maybe on a stutter go, maybe on a post or a corner. You want all those routes right at that phase, right where he's breaking down, to look exactly the same. And you, it's so rare to find that at the college level. That's why I think Corey Davis, to me, is my favorite receiver in this draft because he shows some of those traits. And even if he came from a lesser school in Western Michigan. Okay. See, uh, I haven't watched enough right. of him, but yeah, to me that's – that's a trait. That's a huge trait to say because, Absolutely. and is he by far the best that you've seen in this class? I don't know if he's by, by far. I think that of Mike Williams. Yeah, I think that with Mike Williams, what's interesting is that Williams isn't as polished as a route runner, but I think Williams at the line of scrimmage. You talked about like getting off press man. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's he's really well schooled at using his hands. Obviously, big, strong kid, two hundred twenty plus pounds. Dez I mean, Bryant traits yeah, too. Yeah, that's, that's right? the thing that's bully that, a little bit. Exactly right. So, uh, last part of it, yards after catch. Is that something that you think is just kind of a natural thing? A guy's good at it or he's not? I always did. And, again, I'm going to go back to Larry because I thought his number one weakness when he got drafted was yards after catch. Yeah. He was not good at it at Pitt. I mean, we used to put it up on the on the scoreboard, hey, we're throwing a fade to Larry and nobody could do anything about it, or we're throwing an out to Larry, you know. But after the catch, he was just okay as great players go. And I kind of thought, you know, maybe you have it or you don't. Your vision in the open field, your explosion, your pure foot quickness, yeah. you know, those type of things. But he really got good at it. You know, I mean, he worked and worked and worked, obviously. 
So maybe I changed my mind a little bit. And yeah. maybe he's just the exception of the rule. He's a Hall of Famer. Sure. You know, you can't just quote Hall of Famers all the time. Right. Oh, he reminds me of Jim Brown. You know, but I, I, I thought he would always struggle in there, and, he, and he's now good at it. Yeah, certainly. You remember some of the big plays he's made in the playoffs, especially. Yeah, Super Bowls. And, right, absolutely. yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Matt, Even like a Brandon Marshall. I mean, he's yeah, really no good after the catch, but you wouldn't think he would be. For a bigger guy, right. no doubt. So, Matt Williamson, appreciate the time here yes, on the Eagle Line the Sky podcast. Talk to you again soon. Cool. Great stuff from Matt, and again, you could follow him just like I do at Williamson NFL. And while you're at it, I'm at fduffy3. That's where I post all of the podcasts I'm a part of, and all of our X's nose content that we produce here at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know, I greatly appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on social media. That is one way to support the show, but the other is to go on iTunes or Stitcher and give us a rating, even leave us a comment. I wanted to give a shout out to Brian1142 who rated the show on iTunes and left a note saying how much he loved the show, but also with a question. And Brian wants to know, with everybody always talking about best player available with the NFL draft, can we talk about how it is calculated when comparing apples to oranges? How do you decide who's better between a cornerback and a tackle, a defensive end and a wide receiver, a tight end and a linebacker, etc.? Well, Brian, that's a, that's a loaded question, and so we'll try and hit on that in as tight a package as possible and really bring you that answer as efficiently as I can. So really what it comes down to is that and every team does this differently, but uh, really what it comes down to is there's two ways that a team can make a board, okay? And, and we've had Dan Hatman, a former NFL scout, to come on and talk about this process uh, a couple of times now on this show, and really there's two ways you can kind of make this board. There's one board where it's straight, vertical board right it's a list from 1 to 150 1 to 200 however you want to stack the board 1 to 100 and that is straight up who is better than who and it's you're listing your players like power rankings like you see from so many draft outlets then you've got your board that is also a horizontal and vertical board okay and that means that every position on the field has its own column so quarterback running back fullback receiver tight end straight down the line horizontally and then vertically you have all your grades so whether that's a numerical grade a letter grade uh, a round grade however you want to classify it and again every team every system does it differently but you're going to work downwards from what you think is the best grade down to the bottom which is their worst grade and you're also working across by position. Now, this is where need can come into play because let's say you have a corner and a defensive end rated both the same. Well, now you come down to the fact, well, okay, well, what do we need more? Do we need a, more of a corner or a defensive end? If they're both rated the same, maybe you go one way or the other. Or maybe if you have a quarterback, let's say you're the Eagles and you see you have a quarterback rated as a as an A-plus player and you have a running back rated as an A player, well, the Eagles may decide, you know what, I'm going to take the running back that's an A player over the quarterback that's an A-plus because there's certainly a bigger need at the position. We, with Carson Wentz here, you don't necessarily need to add a quarterback to the roster. So that's really how it can work from an apples-to-oranges standpoint when you're looking at position by position. There's two ways you can look, go about it. There's the straight vertical board, which really kind of leaves no no opinion to be to be had on draft day. Everything is kind of dictated to you, and there's you just go by the board. And whoever is the best player available by that single available board, by that single vertical board, that's who you're going to go with. Or you have that horizontal and vertical board, which allows there to be options and discussion by the time you get to the by the time you get to your pick on draft day, and that allows you to be a little bit more flexible in who you add to the roster. And I think that both ways have their pros and cons. I actually really like the, the second option, the horizontal and vertical board, because it really allows you 
to look at the entire draft and see how things are playing out and where you can perhaps get some really good value in the later rounds. So uh, thanks to Brian for the great question. All of you out there for your continued support of this podcast and all the rest of our podcast offerings right here on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. All right, let's get to our next segment. I talked about it earlier, scouting report on a player that we hit on in Meet the Prospect. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, so this week on Scouting Report, I wanted to hit on ECU wide receiver Zay Jones, who I profiled last week on the Meet the Prospect series on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And the big thing that I wanted to hit on with Zay Jones in that piece was an area that I thought he really improved on throughout the course of the last two years, and that was his route running. When I watched him two years ago, I thought he was just okay at it, and he really has taken a big step forward both in his senior season and also in a brief time at the Senior Bowl with NFL coaching. I saw him take some big jumps in that area. So let's just get to the notes, okay? He was a four-year starter at ECU. It was his first year in head coach Scotty Montgomery's spread offense this past season in 2016. Lined up both inside and outside as a senior after starting his first three years in the slot in Dave Nichols' air raid offense over the course of the early part of his career tall, long frame for a bigger receiver. He does flash some speed in the open field, even if it's just in short bursts. He's not where he needs to be yet as a route runner, but he has made great strides in the last year. Like I mentioned earlier, this is just from my notes. Flashes the ability to break down at the drive phase and create separation. He'll change up his stride length and use head bobs and shoulder fakes to throw defenders off, and he's always had some of that wiggle needed to get defenders' hips turned downfield. His improvement in this area in Mobile makes me feel even better about this area of his game, and he does a great job selling double moves. He's always working his way back to the quarterback to attack the football. He's effective in the middle of the field after years of working in the slot, and he's able to sustain a catch through contact. I like his ball skills. He's really reliable at the catch point, had just five uncontested drops in two seasons and consistently maximized his catch radius. So five uncontested drops over two seasons, and uncontested meaning that he had no contact whatsoever. It was solely a drop based off his inability to secure the catch. No contact whatsoever from the defense. And considering the fact that he was targeted a exorbitant amount of time and really set the, and he set the record for catches at, for an SB, FBS receiver really impressive that he only had five uncontested drops in those two seasons he can climb the ladder come down with the football in contested situations I thought he was a subpar blocker his junior year in 2015 but he stood out to me more this year as a senior he gives good effort and he works to finish defenders now not a perfect prospect. What are the negatives here with Zay Jones? Well, he just tries to run through contact sometimes in the line of scrimmage, and he really needs to work on his technique beating press coverage because he does not have the quickness to consistently do it at the NFL level with his feet. He gives defensive backs a huge target off the line of scrimmage, and he does very little to defend himself at the snap. So getting off press will be an issue for him, at least early. He's going to have to learn to work through that and try and improve his technique early in the down. Athletically, I think he's a step below what you want on the outside. Now, at the, at the combine, he did not show that. At the combine, he tested very well. So it's in, interesting for me to see, okay, if I go back and watch more, do I see that? I still, though, view him as a guy who would be better off as a big-time interior player, a big matchup slot receiver, much like what the Eagles have in Jordan Matthews. I think that's really what his best bet would be, though. I do think he can hang 
on the outside if needed. Now, uh, he does not play to his laser time 4-4-5 speed on those vertical routes. I thought his overall combine test scores surprised me because I didn't see that kind of athlete on tape. He did look a little bit stiff at times in and out of breaks, and he didn't consistently show that suddenness that needed to separate on the outside. But I love how he fights for extra yardage. Still, not a guy that's going to be dynamic after the catch. All things considered, when I first watched Jones back in the summer, I thought he was very comparable to Jordan Matthews. I think they've got similar body types, skill sets, and future roles in the NFL as a big slot or a backup on the outside. Big kid, does good work over the middle, but his film still doesn't show the athlete that we saw at the Combine. Still, very improved route runner, really reliable at the catch point, would be at his best as a big slot guy with continued refinement, and he could slide outside in a pinch. I think he'll be a solid weapon, but not a player that dictates coverage at the NFL level. So that's how I feel about Zay Jones, and you heard some of those traits that I talked about also with Matt Williamson when I talk about Zay, a really interesting prospect in this NFL draft. So great stuff from Matt Williamson and all of you out there listening. Again, whether you're on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Spotify, Google Play, and of course on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. Thank you. And again, if you get the time, rate the show, leave us a comment, let us know what you think. Don't be afraid to leave a question on there too because I'd love the ability to answer it here on the podcast. If there's ever anything like what Brian left us earlier that you want me to hit on in depth, I will absolutely take requests from you on there. So wherever you listen, just go shoot us a comment, rate the show, and we'll get talked about right here on the podcast. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I'm Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.